This week in KMA Land, Page County officials face wind power agreement negotiations. Iowa Senator Chuck Rassley visits Bedford. Congresswoman Cindy Axney reacts to latest Trump document developments. Everly Brothers Bureau erected on Highway 2. And we'll take note of two noteworthy retirements in KMA Land. I am Mike Peterson. Page County officials are considering their options on negotiations for required agreements regarding an upcoming wind project. During its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the Page County Board of Supervisors tabled the appointment of a board or staff member to work with Ehlers and Cooney on developing and negotiating road use and decommissioning agreements with Invenergy regarding the Shenandoah Hills Wind Project. Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong says the discussion came at the recommendation of Ehlers and Cooney lawyer Maria Brano to possibly simplify the transfer of information between the county and Invenergy officials. Whoever that person is would be in contact with Ehlers and Cooney. They would give them their thoughts. They would work toward a process. Ehlers and Cooney would present that to Invenergy. Invenergy would read it, come back to Ehlers and Cooney with what they think. They would bring it back to us with their ideas and thoughts of how far to go. Armstrong says the process would likely take 30 to 45 days and the agreements would then be brought to the entire board for possible approval. He adds all communication regarding the agreements between the county representatives and Invenergy would be run through Ehlers and Cooney. However, after initially requesting to remove the agenda item due to what he says was a lack of clarity on the agenda, Supervisor Jacob Holmes says he is not in favor of a sole board member working with legal counsel to craft the agreements mainly due to the significant investment the county makes into its roads. Our biggest thing is the roads. I mean, crying out loud, the biggest thing we've got, the most expensive thing we got. Why in the world would we not have that in a public meeting with everybody on board to talk about it? Decommissioning is huge, too. I'm just saying, why would all of it, why would it not be in a public meeting with all of us present to figure out what to do? Holmes adds he doesn't understand why Invenergy would have a hand in settling the agreement. It should be done by all three, all three board members should be a part of, of crafting this plan with the attorneys and Invenergy should have nothing. Invenergy shouldn't hear about this until, at, you know, the same time the general public hears about it, or I think it should be done in the public and they can hear them. They should have no seat at the table. It's like letting a vendor come in and decide the rules are going to follow. Armstrong then suggested the board split up the agreements between at least two members with Holmes possibly working on the road use agreement or he or supervisor Chuck Morris working on the decommissioning process. However, Holmes says he would still attend the decommissioning meetings to hear the full discussions and suggested minutes be taken. After discussion, Holmes said he would reach out to Bronnell to gather more information and clarify any concerns from the board. Armstrong says the hope is to have the discussion return at next week's regular meeting. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley ended his latest sweep across the state in KMA land this week. Gathering with several residents for his 99th town hall at the Taylor County Historical Museum in Bedford, Grassley fielded multiple questions from constituents ranging from recent court decisions on Roe v. Wade and the Inflation Reduction Act to transparency with the FBI and national security. Additionally, the Republican senator commented on the recent announcement from the Biden administration of providing student debt relief to the tune of $20,000 to Pell Grant recipients or $10,000 for non-Pell Grant recipients making less than $125,000 a year. But Grassley is concerned about the fairness of the move. You have people that are working, never gone to college, that the same unfairness exists. 
you have people that are maybe paying their loans down now that maybe a few of them might benefit from them, but probably not too many. So you have those things you've got to take into consideration. Additionally, the new Hartford Republican questioned the precedent the loan forgiveness sets for additional or more extensive relief in the future. Grassley also disputed whether the president had the authority to make the move without a congressional vote. First of all, the president for a year and a half said he didn't think he had the authority to do it. Okay, then there was a general counsel in the Department of Education under the Obama administration that wrote an op-ed a couple months ago saying that the president didn't have the authority to do it. But obviously, after 18 months, somebody convinced the president that he does have the authority to do it. Among other topics were concerns with the FBI and what Grassley had previously called a lack of transparency on the raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence and more recent developments such as the federal agency attempting to limit the spread of what they deemed misinformation. While saying he wouldn't be in favor of removing funds from the FBI, Grassley doubled down in his critique of political bias within the agency. But when it comes to prosecution, there's unequal prosecution. And that's where the political bias shows up, you know. How they handled Hillary Clinton actually destroyed stuff. She was negotiated with, not prosecuted. And then the president... Uh, they, whatever they did there, uh, they say they negotiated, but they aren't very clear on why they raided. Grassley's visit to Bedford was his final visit on his 99-county tour as the senator seeks re-election to his eighth term in the U.S. Senate in the November midterm elections. Grassley's opponent is Democratic challenger Mike Franken. In its latest court filing this week, the U.S. Justice Department alleged government documents were likely concealed and removed from a storage room at Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago as part of an effort to obstruct the FBI's investigation into potential mishandling of classified documents. Justice Department officials say more than 320 documents have now been recovered at Mar-a-Lago, including more than 100 seized in the FBI search last month. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney stressed that the FBI conducted a search and seizure at the former president's home, not a raid. She added the FBI went in after Trump failed to return classified materials to the National Archives as requested. The National Archives contacted the president's lawyers in 2021 to figure out how they could get what they knew was some missing correspondence from Trump's departure from the White House. And so that uh, was going on, this was going on uh, back in 2021, and then those weren't turned over. Axney says Trump's avoidance of returning the documents led to a grand jury subpoena allowing the FBI to search Mar-a-Lago from an inquiry standpoint. While saying she's concentrating on issues affecting Iowans, the West Des Moines Democrat says she'll continue to monitor developments surrounding the investigation. I'll be watching the investigation, obviously, as it continues. I'm going to remain focused on Iowa's issues like I always do. But I'm certainly concerned that the former president may have kept sensitive information that our country needs to be kept sensitive in a, in a non-secure location. And that's the big issue here. Axney, however, responded to comments from Grassley and other critics claiming the Trump document seizure amounted to political bias on the FBI's part. Sure, 
head of the FBI was appointed by Trump, I think they ought to look in the mirror. So they literally have somebody who was appointed by Trump executing this because of his concern, the leader of the organization. So uh, I find that to be another, you know, another false, uh, false narrative. A Florida judge Thursday heard arguments from Trump's defense team calling for a special master to review the documents seized at Mar-a-Lago, something the Justice Department argues is not necessary. Motorists along a KMA land highway will no doubt notice the latest tribute to the Everly Brothers. Work commenced Wednesday on the construction of a giant mural bearing Don and Phil Everly's likenesses on Highway 2, about a mile and a half east of Shenandoah near the Southwest Regional Water Association's tower. Officials for the Shenandoah Chamber and Industry Association spearheaded the project, designed to alert tourists of the Everly Brothers' childhood home located on West Sheridan Avenue next to the Greater Shenandoah Historical Museum. Ski officials launched a fundraising drive earlier this year to secure a California artist John Cerny's services in creating the mural. Cerny told KMA News the mural is aimed at motorists who may not know of Everly's rich tradition and how the duo parlayed performances as young children on KMA in the 1940s to musical superstardom as rock and roll pioneers in the 1950s and 60s. This is really meant more for people who aren't from the area who were either passing through going somewhere else and took Highway 2 and realized, whoa, Everly Brothers? Had no idea. Maybe some people know off the top of their head where John Wayne's from in Winterset, Iowa, but not everybody knew that the Everly Brothers' formative years were spent in Shenandoah. Cerny, creator of similar signs in southwest Iowa, says the mural is more eye-catching than the run-of-the-mill billboards dotting the countryside. If this was on a billboard, you know, on a rectangle, people wouldn't notice it as much. When you Take the time to cut it out, cut out the spaces in between the guitars. They look real, and you cannot help but, whoa, your eyes are riveted. That guy just drove by, he would have noticed it if it was in a billboard, but he just stopped and he looked. Cerny and two assistants returned to the mural Thursday for waterproofing and other finishing touches. More in just a moment. Clarinda's police department this week said goodbye to an officer on all fours. K-9 Officer Rako retired Wednesday and was given to Officer Robert Reed, who has served as his handler since the male Dutch Shepherd joined the department in 2017. Clarinda Police Chief Keith Brothers tells KMA News the department obtained Rako through I-80 K-9 LLC out of Lewis. While he had been a fantastic asset to the department over the past six years, Brothers says the time had come for Rako to move on from the police force. You know, in the animal world, he's uh, getting to be an older dog. He's like seven and a half years old, uh, almost uh, be eight here, I believe, sometime in 2023. Uh, we got Rako when he was somewhere between one and a half and two years old. Brothers also is extremely excited to require Rako as the police department had never had a canine unit before 2017. He adds the canine had served well in multiple roles. More importantly, having Rako as a member of the team, you know, having a narcotics detection animal and a tracking dog was a definite plus for our agency, you know, Another tool in our toolbox, if you will, to uh, help us perform our duty. However, Brothers says the canine unit would not have been possible without a generous $10,000 grant from the Clarenda Foundation and other community donations and support. The police chief says startup costs for a canine unit can become expensive. Purchase of the animal, the training of the animal, the purchase of all the ancillary equipment that goes on that has to uh, help support the animal. Uh, vehicles, um, kennels, uh, 
collars, muzzles, training devices. Additionally, brothers thanked the Twin Oaks Veterinary Clinic, which provided its services during Rico's tenure with the police department. But at least for now, this means the end of the canine unit in Clarinda. Like many law enforcement agencies, Brothers says recruitment and retention of human officers have become a priority. Brothers also applauded Reed for going above and beyond in all facets of caring for Rayco outside the office. Another person with a vested interest in animals called a career this week as well. For nearly a half century, Dr. Gary Connell answered calls from local residents regarding livestock or pets. Those phone calls end on Wednesday, the final day of Connell's lifelong service to animal owners in Shenandoah and KMA land in general. Born in 1947, Connell graduated from Shenandoah High School in 1965, then attended Iowa State University. He earned a bachelor's degree in distributive studies with minors in math, chemistry, zoology, and history in 1970, and a doctorate in veterinary medicine from Iowa State in 1973. That same year, Connell returned to Shenandoah to work under the late Dr. Elvin Teachout. Connell tells KMA News earlier experiences as a high school student stoked his desire to become a vet. I used to work for Dr. Williamson Teachout off and on when I was in high school and early college, generally helping him castrate and vaccinate hogs and work on cattle. I, I enjoyed the work, but I also my favorite part was that an hour or two you were done and you went and did something else. So I always enjoyed that part of it. Serving as a mixed practitioner, Connell spent his first 27 years treating cattle and hogs. One particular situation stands out in his career. I think it was Daryl Murphy had a cow having a calf, and uh, my wife was with me, and we went down pulled the calf. We got the head out and the feet out, and all, but, but something was catching hold there. So I continued to crank on it, pull it out, and another head popped out. So it was a two-headed calf, and one head actually breathe for about 30 seconds before it expired. In 2000, Connell switched to handling smaller domestic animals like dogs and cats. One of the changes Connell notes over the years involves the importance of pets to the public. Initially in the 70s and stuff, uh, pets were pets, not so much family members like they appear to be now. So that's definitely one change. Then there's the dizzying change in veterinary medical technology over the past few decades. It's leaving me by leaps and bounds now. Oh, there's ultrasounds and magnetic re- resonances and PET scans and all that stuff. But that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed. Connell and wife Jane have been married for 52 years. While Jane has been active in the community on many fronts, Gary dedicated most of his life to training people's pets. Overall, Connell says he enjoyed helping his customers over the years. In retirement, Connell sums up his 49-year career this way. did the best I could at a reasonable price for him, and I hope they're satisfied. Other than playing golf, Connell has no definite retirement plans. Shenandoah's Chamber and Industry Association has named Connell the Grand Marshal of the 2022 Shenfest Parade, September 24th. One of the nation's leading motivational speakers discussed the importance of human connections in Shenandoah Wednesday night. Joe Beckman was keynote speaker of the May Mentoring Community and Workforce Development Dinner at the Elm Street Grill. Based in his native Minnesota, Beckman has traveled to schools and communities across the country, covering such subjects as self-worth, resiliency, confidence, joy, and human connectivity. Beckman told KMA News human connections 
are key to any relationship, especially those involved in mentoring children. If I am going to listen to you and you are going to lead, I need to build trust or I will need to have trust with me and the person that is leading me. And the trust that we build are based on the connections that we make and those small little things like giving a kid a nickname or saying, you know, being loyal and saying, showing up to the place that you said you were going to show up to. All of those little things matter. Beckman says disconnections are stacking up in today's society with the social media as the main culprit. I'm an 80s kid. We never grew up on social media. We never grew up on cell phones. We never grew up on, I had a Nintendo, which had two buttons and a D-pad. Pretty easy to navigate that. Everything that is now in our day and age seems like you almost need a NASA certification in order to use it. Beckman says the amount of time children spend in front of a screen causes tensions for parents. I think there is a huge disconnect between exactly how do I, you know, enter this space as a parent when I know nothing about it. But at the same time, there's this sort of tug on our heart that knows if we just put an eight-year-old in front of an eight or an iPad for eight hours a day, that that's not right either. In addition to his May mentoring presentation, Beckman also spoke to Shenandoah students Thursday. Earlier in the week, Beckman spoke at the Southwest Valley and Clarenda School Districts. A similar visit took place in Creston Friday. It's a new school year and a new era for the Rockport R2 School District. Rockport is among the many in northwest Missouri switching to a four-day school week in the 2022-23 school year. Rockport School Board approved the switch back in February following a public meeting and a community survey. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Rockport R2 School Superintendent Ethan Sickles cited two main reasons for the change, chief among them teacher retention. It's getting harder and harder to find teachers out there, and that's not just in our state, but you know in the surrounding states as well. It's a challenge. Missouri just does not pay as well as neighboring states. Nebraska and Iowa rank well ahead of us, and, and so we've, we've tried to do some things that would retain our staff here in Rockport. And one of those we looked at was that four-day school week. And it seems to have helped uh, with some of our numbers as far as applications and those things as well. Sickles says the second reason involves the changing nature of education. Things are changing. We're just trying to keep up at least or maybe even get ahead of a couple of things. You know, I think I saw a stat just the other day that almost 25% of Missouri schools are now four-day school weeks. So it's not necessarily new to the state. It is new to our corner of the state. And so far, we're only six days into school, so we've had one Monday where we didn't have have school, but hopefully it'll be a good move for our district and our community. Under the new schedule, students attend classes Tuesday through Friday with Mondays off. Sickles says the four-day week also means longer school days and years. We go about 33-ish minutes longer than we did in previous years, so we make up that time that way. And then our school year goes a little bit longer. We're, we're, we're a week later than we've been in the past. Sickles expects a review of the new schedule in the future. And if you're out on the road this Labor Day weekend, keep your eyes open. That's the message from the Iowa State Patrol as state troopers are out in extra numbers this weekend watching for all possible traffic violations. Trooper Ryan DeVold is the public resource officer with the patrol's Council Bluffs post. He told KMA News earlier this week officers aren't the only ones out in large numbers as travelers hope to get in what they are typically viewing as the final summer vacation. But with the holiday weekend also comes an increase in incidents involved in paired driving. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. 
And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com. You can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.